0: Chapter Four: Moses in Egypt, Part Fourteen of the Legends of the Jews, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Legends of the Jews, Volume Two by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. The Redemption of Israel from Egyptian Bondage. Pharaoh rose up in the night after the smiting of the firstborn. He waited not for the third hour of the morning, when kings usually arise, nor did he wait to be awakened, but he himself roused his slaves from their slumber, and all the other Egyptians, and together they went forth to seek Moses and Aaron. He knew that Moses had never spoken an untruth, and as he had said, I will see thy face again no more, he could not count upon Moses' coming to him. There remained nothing for him to do but to go in search of the Israelitish leader, he did not know where Moses lived, and he had great difficulty and lost much time in looking for his house, for the Hebrew lads, of whom he made inquiries when he met them in the street, played practical jokes on him, misdirected him, and led him astray. Thus he wandered about a long time, all the while weeping and crying out, O oh, my friend Moses, pray for me to God. Meanwhile Moses and Aaron and all Israel beside were at the Paschal meal, drinking wine as they sat and leaned to one side, and singing songs in praise of God, the Halal, which they were the first to recite. When Pharaoh finally reached the door of the house wherein Moses abode, he called to him, and from Moses the question came back, Who art thou, and what is thy name? I am Pharaoh, who stands here humiliated. Moses asked again, Why dost thou come to me thyself? Is it the custom of kings to linger at the doors of common folk? i pray thee my lord returned pharaoh come forth and intercede for us else there will not remain a single being in egypt i may not come forth for god hath commanded us none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning but pharaoh continued to plead do but step to the window and speak to me and when moses yielded to his importunities and appeared at the window the king addressed these words to him thou didst say yesterday all the firstborn in the land of egypt will die but now as many as nine-tenths of the inhabitants have perished. Pharaoh was accompanied by his daughter Bithia, Moses' foster-mother. She reproached him with ingratitude in having brought down evil upon her and her countrymen. And Moses answered and said, Ten plagues the Lord brought upon Egypt. Hath evil accrued to thee for many of them? Did one of them affect thee? And when Bithia acknowledged that no harm had touched her, Moses continued to speak although thou art thy mother's firstborn, thou shalt not die, and no evil shall reach thee in the midst of Egypt. But Bithias said, Of what advantage is my security to me, when I see the king, my brother, and all his household, and his servants in this evil plight, and look upon their firstborn perishing with all the firstborn of Egypt? And Moses returned, Verily, thy brother and his household, and the other Egyptians, would not hearken to the words of the Lord, and therefore did this evil come upon them. Turning to Pharaoh, Moses said, In spite of all that hath happened, I will teach thee something, if thou desirest to learn, and thou wilt be spared, and thou wilt not die. Raise thy voice, and say, Ye children of Israel, ye are your own masters. Prepare for your journey, and depart from among my people. Hitherto ye were the slaves of Pharaoh, but henceforward ye are under the authority of God. Serve the Lord your God." Moses made him say these words three times, and God caused Pharaoh's voice to be heard throughout the land of Egypt, so that all the inhabitants, the home-born, and the aliens, knew that Pharaoh had released the children of Israel from the bondage in which they had languished. And all Israel sang, Hallelujah, praise, O ye servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, for they belong to the Lord, and no more were they the servants of Pharaoh. Now the king of Egypt insisted upon their leaving the land without delay. But Moses objected, and said, Are we thieves, that we should slink away under the cover of the night? Wait until morning. Pharaoh, however, urged and begged Moses to depart, confessing that he was anxious about his own person, for he was a first-born son, and he was terrified that death would strike him down too. Moses dissipated his alarm, though he substituted a new horror, with the words, Fear not, there is worse in store for thee. Dread seized upon the whole people, every one of the Egyptians was afraid of losing his life, and they all united their prayers with Pharaoh's, and begged Moses to take the Israelites hence. And God spake, "You shall all find your end, not here, but in the Red Sea. THE EXODUS Pharaoh and the Egyptians let their dead lie unburied, while they hastened to help the Israelites load their possessions on wagons, to get them out of the land with as little delay as possible. When they left, they took with them, besides their own cattle, the sheep and the oxen that Pharaoh had ordered his nobles to give them as presents. The king also forced his magnates to beg pardon of the Israelites for all they had suffered, knowing, as he did, that God forgives an injury done by man to his fellow only after the wrongdoer has recovered the goodwill of his victim by confessing and regretting his fault. "'Now depart,' said Pharaoh to the Israelites. "'I want nothing from you but that you should pray to God for me, that I may be saved from death.' The hatred of the Egyptians toward the Israelites changed now into its opposite. They conceived affection and friendship for them, and fairly forced raiment upon them, and jewels of silver and jewels of gold, to take along with them on their journey, although the children of Israel had not yet returned the articles they had borrowed from their neighbors at an earlier time. This action is in part to be explained by the vanity of Pharaoh and his people." They desired to pretend before the world that they were vastly rich, as everybody would conclude when this wealth of their mere slaves was displayed to observers. Indeed, the Israelites bore so much away from Egypt that one of them alone might have defrayed the expense of building and furnishing the tabernacle. On their leaving the land, only the private wealth of the Egyptians was in their hand. But when they arrived at the Red Sea, they came into possession of the public treasure, too, for Pharaoh, like all kings, carried the monies of the state with him on his campaigns, in order to be prepared to hire a relay of mercenaries in case of defeat. Great as the other treasure was, the booty captured at the sea far exceeded it. But if the Israelites loaded themselves down with goods and jewels and money, it was not to gratify love of riches, or, as any usurer might say, because they coveted their neighbor's possessions. In the first place they could look upon the plunder as wages due to them from those they had long served, and secondly they were entitled to retaliate on those at whose hands they had suffered wrong. Even then they were requiting them with an affliction far slighter than any one of all they had endured themselves. The plagues did not stay the cruelty of the Egyptian oppressors towards the Hebrews. It continued unabated until the very end of their sojourn in the land. On the day of the Exodus Rachel, the daughter of Shethlelef, gave birth to a child, while she and her husband together were treading the clay for bricks. The babe dropped from her womb into the clay and sank out of sight. Gabriel appeared, molded a brick out of the clay containing the child, and carried it to the highest of the heavens, where he made it a footstool before the divine throne. In that night it was that God looked upon the suffering of Israel, and smote the first born of the Egyptians, and it is one of the four nights that God has inscribed in the book of Memorial. The first of the four is that in which God appeared to create the world. All was waste and void, and darkness brooded over the abyss, until the Lord came and spread light round about him by his word. The second night is that in which God appeared unto Abraham at the covenant of the pieces. In the third night he appeared in Egypt, slaying the firstborn of the Egyptians with his right hand, and protecting the firstborn of the Israelites with his left. The fourth night, recorded, will be that in which the end of the redemption will be accomplished, when the iron yoke of the wicked kingdom will be broken, and the evil-doers will be destroyed. Then will Moses come from the desert, and the Messiah from Rome, each at the head of his flock, and the word of God will mediate between them, causing both to walk with one accord in the same direction. Israel's redemption in future days will happen on the fifteenth of Nisan, the night of Israel's redemption from Egypt, for thus did Moses say, In this night God protected Israel against the angels of destruction, and in this night he will also redeem the generations of the future. Though the actual deliverance from Egypt took place in that night, the Hebrews did not leave the land until the following day. During the same night God requited the Egyptians for their evil deeds in the sight of all the people, the night being as bright as day at the time of the summer solstice. Not one could escape the general chastisement, for by divine dispensation none was absent from home at the time, so that none could fail to see the chastisement. The angels in heaven learnt what was happening on earth. When they were about to begin their song of praise to God, he silenced them with the words, My children on earth are singing now and the celestial hosts had to stop and listen to the song of Israel. Great as the joy of the Hebrews was at their deliverance from the Egyptian bondage, it was exceeded by that of Pharaoh's people at seeing their slaves depart, for with them went the dread of death that had obsessed them. They were like the portly gentleman riding an ass. The rider feels uncomfortable and longs for the moment of alighting, but his longing cannot compare in intensity with that of the ass groaning under the corpulent burden and when their journey's end is reached, the ass rejoices more than his master. So the Egyptians were happier to be rid of the Hebrews than these were to be free. In general, the Israelites were not in a joyous mood. The strength of men is readily exhausted, mentally and physically, by the strain of a sudden change from slavery to freedom. They did not recover vigor and force until they heard the angels' hosts singing songs of praise and joy over the redemption of Israel, and their redemption of the Shekinah, For so long as the chosen people is in exile, the Shekinah who dwells among Israel, is also, as it were, in exile. At the same time God caused the earth to exhale and send aloft a healing fragrance, which cured them of all their diseases. The exodus of the Israelites began at Ramses, and although the distance from there to the city of Mizraim, where Moses abode, was a forty days journey, yet they heard the voice of their leader urging them to leave the land. They covered the distance from Rameses to Succoth, a three days' march in an instant. In Succoth God enveloped them in seven clouds of glory, four hovering in front, behind, and at two the sides of them, one suspended above them, to keep off rain, hail, and the rays of the sun, and one under them to protect against thorns and snakes. The seventh cloud preceded them, and prepared the way for them, exalting the valleys and making low every mountain and hill. Thus they wandered through the wilderness for forty years. In all that time no artificial lighting was needed. A beam from the celestial cloud followed them into the darkest of chambers, and if one of the people had to go outside of the camp, even thither he was accompanied by a fold of the cloud, covering and protecting him. Only, that a difference might be made between night and day, a pillar of fire took the place of the cloud in the evening. Never for an instant were the people without one or the other to guide them. The pillar of fire glowed in front of them before the pillar of cloud retired, and in the morning the cloud was there before the fire vanished. The clouds of glory and the pillar of fire were sent for the protection of Israel alone. For none beside, not for the heathen and for the mixed multitude that went up with them, these had to walk outside of the cloud enclosure. The cavalcade consisted of six hundred thousand heads of families afoot, each accompanied by five children on horseback, and to these must be added the mixed multitude, exceeding the Hebrews vastly in number. So profound was Israel's trust in the Lord that they followed Moses unmurmuringly into the wilderness, without supplying themselves with provisions. The only edibles they took were the remains of the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs, and these not to satisfy their hunger, but because they were unwilling to separate themselves from what they had prepared lovingly at the command of God. These possessions were so dear to them that they would not entrust them to the of burden. They carried them on their own shoulders. End of Chapter 4, Part 14 End of Chapter 4, Moses in Egypt End of The Legend of the Jews, Volume 2, by Rabbi Lewis Ginsburg